0: Whenever met a girl who makes me feel the way that you do. You're all right. Hey. Whenever I'm asked to make my dreams.
1: Broadway radios this week on Broadway for Sunday, March twenty fourth, two thousand and nineteen. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today, we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a theater journalist and historian with a number of books. His most recent is The Great Parade, which is available everywhere. His play God Shows Up begins performances April sixth at the Actors Temple Theater on Forty Seventh Street, with an opening night on May thirteenth. His columns appear at MTI Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer, whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. So Peter, you got a chance to see what is uh a the newest uh well. The newest of the New York Times uh, critics picks, which we can discuss about isn't everything a New York Times critics pick these, these days, but we'll, we'll talk about that on another day. But you saw Ain't Too Proud. So tell us, uh, what do you think about this new Temptations musical?
2: I think you're really going to enjoy it. If indeed you've never seen Dream Girls, uh, it's impossible to watch this show without thinking of Dream Girls, especially in two uh, specific situations. At the end of the first act of Ain't Too Proud, one of the band members has been very difficult. Um, nobody likes him anymore. It's time to replace him, and um, and that's what's going to happen. Well, indeed, no question about it. Uh, that's what happens at the end of Dream Girls. But in Dreamgirls, you have what is arguably the greatest first act finale in Broadway history with a phenomenal song, I Am Telling You I Am Not Going, and a tremendous visual effect where uh, Jennifer Holliday originally, um, Effie Melody White is singing that she will not leave the group, even though they want her to leave, even though they've already replaced her. And she's, um, she disappears um, by um, um, a little trolley that takes her way upstage while the new Supremes come in and um, start singing. It's a very effective uh, first act uh, closer, and it's impossible not to think about when people are discussing this issue at the end of Act One of Ain't Too Proud. There's another issue, too. Um, there's a scene in Dreamgirls that's, <laughs> that takes everybody by such surprise in which you see them performing. And um, an announcer over the sound system says, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not getting the city right, You know, live from Las Vegas. Okay, they sing this song, they disappear behind a tinsel curtain, um, live from San Francisco. And they come out again and they start singing. It takes the audience a second to say, wait a minute, something's different. What has happened here? Oh, my God, in that little bit of time, little bit of time, they've changed costumes. Okay, here what you have time after time after time after time again is simply a projection on the back screen, don't look for much scenery in this show, um, of the cities they're playing. So you see Houston, San Francisco, Boston. And endlessly, do you see this to indicate they're in different places? Well, that's not nearly as exciting or imaginative as what I just talked about in Dream Girls. So this is a pretty um, paint-by-numbers uh, situation. Uh, th- it is true that it's very well-performed. I'm uh, tremendously impressed all the way down with everybody who's in it, um, especially Derek Baskin, who plays Otis Williams, who's pretty much the narrator. Yes, there is a narrator. You might say, "Wait a minute, wait, 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 wait! wait. You like Jersey Boys, and Jersey Boys has four narrators. That's more interesting because you have four different points of view. Um, because, as we all know, in any marriage." Uh, There's his side, her side, and the the true side. So as a result, even though there are no hers here speaking in Jersey Boys, you do get different points of view, and it's up to you to believe what you want to believe. Here you're getting one point of view, even though there are plenty of temptations, such as James Harkness um, and uh, also – um, Melvin Franklin, who uh, should mention that uh, James Harkness uh, plays Paul Williams, while Jawan M. Jackson plays Melvin Franklin. And Jeremy Pope, who we recently saw in Choir Boys, is very good as Eddie Kendricks. And Ephraim Sykes is David Ruff, Ruffin, who's the real troublemaker of the group. He's the one who's um, who makes the group. And... Breaks the group. Um, I I also had a big issue <laughs> with the fact that um, at the end of the show they were bragging about the fact that the Temptations are still around after twenty. Um, sorry, after um, since nineteen sixty three. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it magnificent? My God, what an achievement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, but they also mentioned that there have been 24 different members of this group. So um, does that really mean the Temptations have been around since 1963? Is the label on the bottle the important thing? I mean, I just wonder about that tremendously. I was amused that they often called themselves the Temps. And of course, temps in the real world, you know, means temporary workers. And uh, I'm not sure if they're going to be temps at the Imperial Theater. Um, the audience certainly, we have an audience now that simply comes to hear songs from way back when. And uh, that audience, I think, will um, happen. But I did notice that the audience laughed a great deal at many of their problems that they were having. And I don't recall hearing that laughter in Dream Girls. So I'd, um, in the classic situation of show, don't tell this show. Doesn't do that very much. It, uh, it does mostly telling, um, for example, somebody commits suicide and it's very dramatic and we just hear someone commits suicide. Um, it may be too grisly to actually see a person put a, a gun in his mouth and shoot it, which is um, certainly what happens, but it's still more dramatic to see something than to hear about it. So, so, um, I guess it'll be a big hit. Uh, with those people who um really want to hear these songs one more time um, but in the age of video and recordings and all that i'm very surprised that people are that interested in seeing people pretend to be the other people in a show that isn't terribly well dramatized i get jersey boys i get dream girls i do not get ain't too proud
1: so uh a few a few quick questions before we move on um we're seeing the uh these uh, dramatizations of these wildly popular groups from uh, another time period but yet we're also seeing uh one of our broadway theaters in essence mm-hmm. being taken out of the mix for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for uh, <laughs> these stars playing themselves in retrospectives um huh. Me, me, more contracts than retrospect was uh, the Morrissey's, the Yanni's, the – you know, Bruce Springsteen took out of Broadway theater for a whole year. Sure, uh, sure. Sure. Uh, Uh, is this the natural evolution or are these two things on different tracks? Uh, what, what's your take there on this?
2: I I do think there's a natural evolution here. Um, the baby boomers now have enough money to go buy theater tickets and they want to relive their youth and that's what's going on here. So, uh, I do expect that's what it really is. That, uh, people do not need new musicals per se, um, it's it's not as important to them. They didn't grow up with new musicals, uh, and uh, they've been to a lot of concerts. And um, this is just another concert in a smaller space. Um, it, it's impossible to to really not have this, considering the fact that many of the baby boomers grew up in arenas hmm. where they were seeing their favorite people in concert, and um, and so now they're just in a smaller space. But um, but that's what they want to see. And uh, so we're going to see more and more and more of this.
3: Well, and as as we've said before, uh, to to phrase it another way, this would not have happened if pop music and Broadway music had not diverged Ah. sometime in the late – in the, well, Mm -hmm. early 1960s, -1960s. mid-1960s. you know, uh, there was that tremendous hole uh, for, for you know, there's been that tremendous hole uh, ever since then. And this is what happened to, uh, I guess, to come in and fill it. Mm-hmm.
1: We have this, uh, you know, this is nothing new, but we had other shows that were, um, you know, before Jersey Boys Wild Success. Uh, we had some, uh, was it a Beatles a uh,
2: no, Beatlemania. a, a Beetlemania
1: thing. Yeah,
2: that ran you two know. years,
1: and that and mm. it, it ran two years when two years was a big deal.
2: It was, it was, and I remember so vividly going to the tryout at the Colonial Theater um, in Boston. And uh, going in there and uh, <laughs> smelling marijuana, I, I went with my friend Paul Roberts and suddenly we became my Aunt Elaine and my Aunt Vera, you know, as we went, oh, you know, <laughs> we smelled all the marijuana. Uh, <laughs> it was just amazing. Uh, and, yeah, that was kind of interesting because, in fact, you know, the Beatles weren't around anymore, but... Um. Uh, people took what they could get as the Beatles. And again, um, it was an exciting time in musical history. And so people just wanted to relive it. And there they were. So uh, so in a way, it's surprising there weren't more Beatlemanias manias um, because that was the late 70s. And it's surprising that it took so long to get the uh, other ones in gears that producers didn't say, whoa, whoa, here's how we can make some money. Uh, and we don't have to contend terribly much with um, with writers. So um, it, it's pretty... – Michael, have you been to this show?
3: Too, too, eight,
2: eight, too proud, proud? yeah. No, uh-huh.
3: no. Uh, but uh, as far as Beatlemania, I actually did not see it. But that was uh, very different, wasn't it? Wasn't it just uh, – uh, it uh, sure was. Uh, there was no book at right. all, right? right? It was just right. for guys pretending to
2: be the Beatles. Beatles, and anybody who missed the Beatles uh, could convince himself that uh, he was seeing the Beatles. What about so, Rain? Was, was that the re- yeah, recent? The yeah, recent. that didn't go over at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, uh, maybe too much time had passed. Who knows? Um, and then
1: Lennon, if that counts, Lennon. that's right. That's right. Uh,
2: Good point. But we Good have point. beautiful yeah.
1: happening right now, which is you know, splits the difference of a book musical versus uh, yes. a bio musical. Uh, and then we had the, uh, the the Billy Joel moving out thing that I can't remember. I sort of feel like it it. Didn't do well. Am I re- misremembering, or did it? Yeah, do well? no,
2: it, it did do well. And but that was a different take too. And that was more of a dance show, yeah. and um, and had a theme behind it. Uh, so that was that was um old, old wine in new bottles, actually. And um, and that was satisfying on its own level. Um, the Lennon thing, a lot of people say, um, didn't go over because Yoko Ono had uh, tight reins on it, and and it wasn't telling the truth. And I will admit that ain't too proud. Um ain't shy about um saying these guys uh were on the shady side uh from the very beginning that um not everybody was uh a plaster saint um so so in that way it's very much like Jersey Boy which was, tells you early on somebody went to jail and they were breaking into churches and all they didn't um make them saints either so I, I mean, it's so hard to to categorize them all. I think beautiful works so well because um, they really made you care about carol king there was there was skill in the writing that doug mcgrath uh, accomplished they really made you care and again while i haven't seen it without jesse mueller i know they were very lucky to have her because she was very good with that self-deprecating um g um and attitude so but of course it's still here now whether or not Uh, People who have succeeded her, including her sister, have been able to replicate that type of feeling and get people to say, oh, she's an underdog, I'm on her side. Uh, I don't know, but it may just be the show um, is going on for the reasons that Ain't You Proud is successful, that uh, they're old songs and people want to hear them again. So very hard, very hard to know. uh, (laughs) Uh, Again, uh, so many times formulas work and sometimes they don't. And um, and this one seems to be working. uh, And um, as I say, the audience didn't have my concerns for a tenth of a second.
1: Yeah, Ain't Too Proud got incredibly good notices. I um, never
2: expected them. I, I didn't. I, yeah. I expected it would be a popular hit, but I did not expect the notices to be as good as they were.
1: So interesting. Uh, Jeremy Pope, is there a chance he's going to be competing against himself uh, for Choir Boy <laughs> and Ain't Too Proud? or?
2: You mean for the Theater World Award? Yeah. That you mean? <laughs> uh, we've been known to give uh, a, a, an award to uh, people who have been in two shows um, and uh, in the same season. Uh, we certainly did it with Jeremy Jordan um, when he was with Newsies and Bunnies and ah. Bunny and Clyde. So who knows? That may happen. Again, I'm one one of seven voters. So we'll see what happens.
1: Um, something totally unrelated to this, but I, something I noticed that was, uh, kind of silly, but I'll mention it here. I run a website called, uh, what's playing on com, and, um... And on that, for the last, uh, I can't imagine f- four or five years or so, Aladdin has led le- lead off the website oh, because it, it is, of the uh, the alphabetical yeah. thing. And Ain't Too Proud right. is now the top spot. And so, I, right. I, you know, if the ABCs were still a thing, are they yeah. still a thing? Yeah, I've, I don't think
2: they are. But uh, yeah, the, if the ABCs that's, that's were still a guess. thing,
1: that would have been uh, Ain't Too Proud. Uh, you know, uh, David Merrick would have come in with uh, Ain't Hard right. uh <laughs> <laughs> Ain't Vark's the musical So it's up to the marketing folks now To make N2 Proud run They got great notices They got good word of mouth uh, So it's up to them to keep it running
2: Well of course tonight I am seeing Ain't No Mo At oh. the public theater So uh, if that moves to Broadway um, It will come before Oh yeah <laughs> Ain't crowd in the uh, alphabetical listings. So we'll see what happens there.
1: So another show that screws me up is uh, this thing happening over at Studio 54 because it's Kiss Me, comma, Kate, and commas really throw off you know alphabetical sorting and things like that. Ah. So uh, Michael and I both got a chance to see Kiss Me, Kate over at Roundabout, uh, uh, at Roundabout Studio 54. Uh, so Michael, you want to tell us what you thought about Kiss Me, Kate?
3: Sure. Seeing it again, I was struck by the fact that, um, I mean, this is a classic, classic musical comedy with an incredible, fabulous score by Cole Porter and a really excellent book by, well, it's built Sam and Bella Spiewak. Uh, according to all reports, it was mostly Bella Spiewak because uh, she and her husband were having huge marital problems at the time. And uh She wound up doing most of the work. Um, But anyway, that is the billing and and it is retained for this production. Uh, It seems to me that this is a great show that has always had a major, major flaw built into it, because what it is, is a uh, well, a musical within a musical. It's a backstage story of this theatrical couple, uh, Fred Graham and Lily Vanessi, who are fairly recently divorced. And these characters are based on uh, Alfred Lunt and Lynn Fontaine, who were not divorced, but uh, this is uh, based on them as in terms of the types of characters that they are. Uh, so they are starring in a Musical based on *The Taming of the Shrew* by Shakespeare, and uh, that, and we get to see uh, many scenes from this show within the show, including several several musical numbers. And then, in addition to that, there are musical numbers and book scenes, obviously that take place uh, not within the. Pl- play within the play, but backstage uh, in, in various situations, backstage in dressing rooms and uh, in, in rehears- during rehearsal, etc. cetera. Uh, so, but the flaw of the show that, and I'm not sure when I actually realized this, it was probably some years ago, is that um, the, the, the finale, uh, the denouement, the climax, is the scene from Taming of the Shrew, where Catherine, the shrew, quote unquote, uh, comes out and, and in, in the musical sings, uh, a a song which has lyrics drawn almost word for word from Shakespeare. And that song is called, I am ashamed that women are so simple. Uh, so basically the situation is throughout the, the, the play, the Taming of the Shrew, uh, Kate is is a very, very volatile, shrewish woman who doesn't want to get married, and she doesn't want to submit uh, to her husband. And she is kind of basically uh, beaten into submission during the course of the play. Uh, we're talking about Taming of the Shrew now. And uh, then in the end, she finally capitulates and— And advises other women that what they should do uh, in order to get along with their husbands is to put their hand neat the soles of their husband's foot. Uh, So this is the – is what happens right at the end of Kiss Me, Kate as well. But what is happening in the outer story is is not the same thing by any means uh, uh, you, you know uh lily is not learning to submit to her husband and to you know and and to obey him no matter what it's a much more complicated situation like that and she's a a much more modern woman uh and she is trying to be self-determinative and and basically in a nutshell what it is is that she has their marriage had 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 major problems and so they got divorced and uh they're working together again now just you know, for business reasons, not for personal reasons. And she is planning to go off and and marry someone who's not in theater and, uh, and leave the theater forever. Uh, and she eventually realizes that this is not what she wants to do because she lives for the theater. And she also does realize that she does love her, her former husband, Fred, despite their tremendous problems. Um, so, uh, so this this you know ha- has always been a problem when you think about it because what uh Catherine is singing in i am ashamed that women are so simple is not what is happening for lily by any means and so uh i guess until now uh this this has not been a huge problem it has come up before uh in in the modern era that uh well we don't want to see the story end that way uh so I've seen things, uh, productions like, for example, the last Broadway revival, I believe, when the great uh, Marin Maisie sang that song at the end, when she sang I Am Ashamed That Women Are So Simple. At the end of it, she gave a huge wink to the audience. And that was supposed to be enough to kind of let us know that, well, this is just the characters of – you know, Catherine saying this in the 1500s in Italy. It's not uh, a modern woman saying this to her husband in in 1949 in New York City or, or Baltimore or wherever this must be. Um, so anyway, that that uh, has always been a problem. Uh, the the uh, solution, quote unquote, for this production has been to have the lyrics uh vastly rewritten by amanda green uh and then it is now i am ashamed that people are so simple and the message of that song is basically that uh men and women should learn to get along and i mean i understand why they did it but it's it's i mean they are rewriting shakespeare and that's not what it was originally and and so i'm not sure if this is a uh is the best solution. It kind of reminds me of the way that the very, very ending of My Fair Lady uh, f- seems to have flummoxed Bartlett Sher, uh in the current production at Lincoln Center. Uh, it, it, all these issues are arising when uh, when older older shows are revived in terms of uh, modern sensibilities, in terms of, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, of gender roles and sex equality, racial equality, uh, diversity, all of, the, all of these issues are arising. And since there's continued to be so many re- revivals and revisals, uh, I guess it's going to continue. We're going to continue to have the issues and people will solve them in different ways and we, we shall see. Um, so I, um, just wanted to mention all that is a very kind of long prologue to say I had extremely mixed situation, uh, uh, feelings about this production. Uh, I think there was a lot of good in it and, uh, a lot that was really kind of counterproductive and, and not good at all. Um, I thought that the orchestrations, uh, the new orchestrations were wonderful. Uh, I, Thought that Kelly O'Hara sang beautifully in the role of Lily Kate, which was not a surprise. But here, uh, you know, uh, this leads me to, an uh, I think, a, a major issue here: the Lunts, uh, whom these characters were modeled after, were extremely grand uh, people in, in terms of their their public personas, and I don't think that uh, that either Kelly O'Hara or Will Chase. Can be described that way. And so uh, I don't think, I, I mean, I think a large part of the point of the piece has been removed. Uh, and then, in addition to that, in this play within the play scenes, I, I, it seems very clear that Kelly O'Hara has made a, a conscious decision, uh, I'm sure with the, uh, with the uh, aiding and abetting of director Scott Ellis, not to play Kate as a shrew. Uh, she is she does not come across as sh- shrewish and uh, and especially difficult uh, and recalcitrant here she uh, seems kind of to me more bored than anything and kind of above it all and does a lot of rolling her eyes uh, and uh, I, you know again I'm sure that was done uh, you know uh, as a as a nod to current sexual politics, but I think it really takes a lot out of the out of the piece um in addition to that, uh I, I I do like Will Chase a lot. I've Enjoyed him very much in several things. He was excellent when I saw him as a replacement uh, in the lead in the Full Monty, and he was one of the best Rogers I ever saw in Rent and many other things. But I think he has excelled in playing more or less regular people. I don't think he has the grandness and the uh, swagger uh, that is necessary for the role of Fred Graham, even in a in a modern production. And uh, also on top of that, he's a tenor rather than a baritone and the s- score was not written for a tenor and I think that's a big issue as well uh I can't think of a few other performers who I think I would have rather seen in the role of Fred uh Petruchio because they just fit the role better in terms of uh vocal quality and also personality but um so those are some pretty major problems I had and then I have a lot. Of uh, just a lot of issues with this production in general. Uh, some of the, some of them date from the last revival. Uh, some fairly major changes in the writing, uh, especially the reconception of this character that. Uh, that Lily is planning to marry, uh, originally as originally written in, in, uh, the original production, he was, I believe, a cattle baron type from Texas. And, uh, now, uh, well, for that, for that last revival, he was rewritten as a military fellow. And, um, I mean, I can see why they did that, but I just don't think it works very well. And this, I certainly don't think it works to give, uh, That character, the song from this moment on, which was interpolated into the score of Kiss Me Kate for the movie um – and done brilliantly in the movie as a as a full out dance number with uh, with people like Ann Miller and Tommy Raul and and Bobby Van and Jeannie Coyne and 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 Bob Fosse uh, Bob Fosse dancing with Ca- with Carol Haney we don't we don't have any of that here it's done as a comedy number and I I really dislike that in the last revival and I really dislike it in this one too. Um, Lots of other little things uh, that annoyed me fr- from the beginning of this show. Uh, the reconception of the opening number, I don't like. Uh, I, I, I don't like the fact that people pronounce the name of the city Boston as Boston. Uh, <laughs> I, I really that, – that really irks me. Um, I don't know why people do that. Uh, and – uh I noticed two of the suitors' names are mispronounced, believe it or not, in this production it's Gremio, not Grimio, and it's Lucentio, not lucentio uh so I think they would have been a little more careful about things like that um odd things there's a show curtain in this show that uh has <laughs> has the credits uh of the of the two stars on it uh, and, the, and the title of the show. And it's like, why would the show curtain used in the production have, you know, say, starring Lily Vanesse and Fred Graham? That made no sense to me. Um, I noticed a change in uh, uh, lyrics that seemed to have been made for absolutely no reason at all. And, and Peter, maybe you'll notice it when you see it, especially now if I'm pointing it out. It's supposed to be, uh, the song Tom, Dick or Harry is supposed to be I'm a maid who would marry and would take with no qualm any Tom, Dick, or Harry, any Harry, Dick, or Tom. I'm a maid mad to marry, etc. cetera. Uh, in this case, I'm a maid who would marry has been changed every time to I'm a maid mad to marry. And I don't know what that is about. Do they not think the audience would understand I'm a maid who would marry? Maybe they don't think we would understand that construction because it's archaic. I don't know. Um I did not like uh, Stephanie Styles in the role of Lois Lane, Bianca, at all. I thought she was very squeaky, and I didn't think she sang very well, and I thought the part made almost no impression whatsoever. Um, Will Chase, as I said before, had the wrong voice type. Uh, the gangsters, the two gangsters, were not especially funny, uh, and that was a big detriment to the show. Uh, I thought... That the uh, fact that the 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 men uh, didn't wear wigs in the show within the show uh, was distracting to me because their hairstyles were so you know so against the style of of the show within the show the play within the play uh, and I just had lots of. Little quibbles as everything was going along in order to the uh, in addition to the major problems that I've already mentioned. So I guess I <laughs> this is another case where I'm in a minority on this show. I think it has inherent problems as I mentioned from from the beginning of my rant here, but uh, but I don't think those were solved, and I think some additional issues were added. And that's my take on Kiss McCain.
1: So um, I'm going to agree with a lot of what Michael said, uh, and it puts me in the minority as well. I thought that the show, if I can quote Peter, it was sit-throughable. I uh, enjoyed a lot of the production. I I enjoyed all the production numbers. I enjoyed uh, uh, Absolutely Too Darn Hot. It was just really wonderful. Um, I I feel as though that... uh, we're in an era where there's uh, the want to do uh, some of these shows, but knowing that the show is, has different, uh, speaks to different values than what we'd like to speak to today. And so they, they revise the show and things like that. Right. Uh, and uh, you know, certainly there are those shows in, in our past um, that we just don't do anymore. And you know, and if a show doesn't have the values, just don't do it anymore.
2: I mean, this well, been- is it set still in
1: 1948?
3: Yes, sort of. Yeah, they, yeah. Sort I mean, of. they don't they don't hammer it in, but yes, yes, basically, or not, uh-huh. like around
2: 1949, 50. Uh, okay, well, I mean, that's that's a big issue here. Uh, if indeed it were updated to be right now, uh, no. I would I would see the the value of uh yeah. making some of these changes but if it is 1948 if that's specified in the program then indeed um it should have a 1948 sensibility and not be apologetic about it
3: it doesn't say but she's talking with uh, in this version she's talking with harry truman right on yeah. the phone <laughs> at one point oh yeah
2: oh all right yeah and there's
3: a joke about uh, uh truman and dewey as well
1: yeah
2: I oh, see. and oh, and so, by yeah.
3: the way, the, the uh, political correctness of this production has extended to the point where, in the song Bianca, mm-hmm. which again is set in the show within the show, so it's supposed to be, uh, well, actually, no, that one is set backstage. But regardless, um, he sings at one point, uh, Bianca, Bianca, you'd better answer yes or pop a stank
2: yeah, so that
3: believe it or not. Yeah. one of the chorus guys standing next to him says, no.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's
2: the, that's the, where the uh-huh. mm-hmm. correctness so, is. So,
1: yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, this mm-hmm. would have been great as a a concert. uh uh-huh. You know, <laughs> no need to do the book if the book is offending, but also, uh, you know, there, there's, there's so much talent and creativity out there. If you need to, uh, revise something in order to put it on. Don't put it on. Just do something new. Uh, I think one approach
3: and, yeah. uh, and rewriting doesn't does not, in my opinion, uh, seem to be the best approach because it's you, you just where do you where does it stop? You know,
1: a uh, question for the two of you. Um, is, is there going to be a cast recording of this made? Do you have you heard?
3: No, I haven't. Uh, That's and, an interesting question because there are so many. I mean, almost everything like that. And, and, yeah, and yeah, I didn't yeah. expect
1: it to have a cast recording except for the fact that there's a number of YouTube videos out there of the cast in the studio recording. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm. There's that the, – mm. the Kelly doing So in Love. And, and the, did they take it in there just to do a promo video? Mm. or uh, I don't know. Uh, Kelly's So in Love, just absolutely gorgeous. Beautiful, oh, gorgeous. Yeah. Um so there is uh Kiss Me Kate. We're gonna talk about it again.
2: Well I'm very sorry though that um we didn't have the, the song I am ashamed that people are so simple on November eighth, two thousand sixteen. Um and the morning of November ninth, 2016. I think that would have been a good theme song for many of us, but that's another story, isn't it?
1: So we will talk about uh, Kiss Me, Kid, again after Peter gets a chance to see it. Uh, Peter, you were supposed to see it uh, this week, but uh, the press traps asked you to uh, reschedule because somebody was out of the cast. So uh, we will talk about it as soon as you see it. All right.
2: Yes, um, indeed. Uh, The woman who plays Lois Lane, making her Broadway debut, um, was out on Wednesday, and so uh, they insisted that I come back uh, another time. So I'll see Stephanie Siles because um, it's her Broadway debut, and uh, perhaps uh, she'll be – well, she's eligible for Theatre Worldwide. We'll see how far she gets with seven voters.
3: And All I'm right. sorry, I, I should slip in that I, uh, I I really should mention that Corbin Blue was quite wonderful as Bill Lucentier. He was one of the one of the absolute highlights of the cast and the production, and he has been great in other things. Uh, even uh, he, I even enjoyed him in Holiday Inn, although I thought overall that was a very dispiriting experience. Uh, so it's good to see him in a role that really gives him full sway to show his really exceptional talents as a singer and a dancer. And, uh, and also his, he has a tremendous amount of charm on stage, I think, and he was really great in it.
1: All right. Clipping forward uh, here, Peter and Michael got a chance to get to the theater at St. Clemens to see a play called Vilna. So, Peter, start us off with Vilna.
2: All right. Um, Vilna is a uh, play by Ira Fuchs. And, in fact, sometimes it's billed as Ira Fuchs' Vilna. So, uh, Now, ironically enough, when I was at Smart Blonde the other night, I ran into a critic who said, have you seen Vilna? And I said, "Uh, no, actually, I'm going tomorrow. He said, oh. Uh, It made me sick to my stomach. I I, I was really thinking about leaving it into mission, but I had to stay. I mean, it is just so powerful and so discouraging and horrifying because it's a Holocaust play, so they're never uh, pretty needless to say. So uh, if you have an aversion to Holocaust plays, you must stay away from Vilna because, indeed, it is one of the most powerful ones simply because of the matter-of-factness of of the people who are— Engineering the Holocaust. I don't know if anybody's ever seen a movie called the Wannsee Conference, W A N S E E, and this is simply—I I believe it's actually the transcripts of the beatings when all the Nazis got together and said, "Okay, well, let's let's talk logistics. How are we going to do about how are we going to kill these Jews? Uh, do you think we should um, just shoot them? Do you think we should have gas chambers? You know, and that type of thing." Uh, what's really chilling in the movie, by the way, is when they take a break and they go um, outside and uh, one of the telephone receptionists, uh, is giving um, a good look at one, trying to, flirting with uh, one of the officers who's handsome. And we've just seen what a monster he is. Well, this is what happens in this play. We really do see the monsters. And uh, the monsters are pretty matter-of-fact about being monstrous. And um, we see a family trying to resist what's going on here. And little by little, the resistance breaks down. Early on, there's a guy who seems to be such a hero such a hero, fearless, and you really admire him. And by the time the play is over, you really see the many, many compromises he's had to made, make while convincing himself that he's doing the best he can under very difficult circumstances and that by being cooperative with the Nazis, that indeed he is able to save some lives. And that's pretty fascinating to think that you get to that point where you think, well, if Twenty thousand people die. um ten thousand people will live, as opposed to no, oh, thirty thousand must uh, survive. There's a very, very potent scene involving a um, uh, an architect. I'll say no more. so uh, it's it's really quite, quite, quite stunning, a play in so many instances. and but i I have to say that um, the applause that it got at the end of the first act was extraordinarily weak because people were in such shock. The applause it got at the end of the play was substantial because people knew that what was happening here was really quite an achievement. Now, um, Joe Disher, who's been one of my favorite New Jersey directors at the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey, I've seen more than a dozen of his productions, and he's almost always wonderful, has done remarkable work here, especially in getting the tension. So many times, it's what happens between the lines, the silences, that really create the mood. And Joe Disher has done a spectacular job of making that happen, that during those silences, you have the time to catch up and say, whoa, whoa, um, something big is happening here. What is going to happen here? May I also mention that James Michael Riley, an actor I've admired in, I would say, two dozen productions at the Shakespeare Theater of New Jersey, who uh, was, is one of the favorite comic actors there, uh, has done a number of classic comedies, including Servant of Two Masters, and uh, always brings the house down because he is so, so funny. Well, he isn't funny in this one, and to the point of which, in one scene, I did not even recognize him, uh, which, again, is one of the wonderful compliments you can give an actor who uh, you've seen a lot, but suddenly you realize, oh, wait, 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 that's, that's he. Oh, my God, that's he, because he is so powerful. He gets the chance in this play to be powerful, and he takes it. So uh, they're all good, and it's amazing this play is getting produced from the vantage point that I've always heard that uh, these days, nine people for a musical off broadway is the best you can even hope for well (laughs) this has a cast of 11 yeah and it's certainly not a musical so so it's 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 so powerful because we do see Matka zeidel and judy farber uh, as kids growing up and they're really good friends and in fact um one's family even adopts the other in, in all, for all intents and purposes. And, um, and what's going to happen to them between, uh, the age of 11 and 28. And, uh, it has a lot to do with, um, they're trying, they're being captured and uh, harassed and threatened to be killed. There's a very, Very powerful scene where you really believe one of them is going to get killed. Um, And um, they uh, can they escape from this? You certainly want them to, but can they? So, uh, with Rick Sordeley as fight director, always a a, a great asset to have, Um, he's the best in the business. So, um, the subtitle of Vilna is You Need to Know. And we do need plays to remind us the never again, never again. And this one does it more powerfully than any other one I've ever seen. So be forewarned and be encouraged.
1: All right, Michael, what did you think of Vilna?
2: Well, I really hesitated to
3: go anyway because of uh, uh, you know the phenomenon that, that Peter is talking about. I, I just find it, Extremely difficult to sit through a- any dramatization of the Holocaust because it's the 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 horror and the evil of it is is so beyond imagination uh, that you know uh, it, it it's it's almost impossible uh, to comprehend that this actually happened but of course it did and of course we always need to be reminded of it i um i am afraid i'm not as positive about the writing uh of this play uh or the direction uh but i will say you know i mean uh, of course it was um extremely respectful i mean there was nothing uh, about it that was Inept or or uh, that didn't do justice to it. I just think that the actual technique of it, um, there was a lot that uh, that I didn't think was very well done. Um, that said, I uh, I think that those two central roles of Matka Zeidel and UD Farber played respectively by Sean hudok H U D O C K. And uh, Seamus Mulcahy, uh, I thought that they were really beautifully acted, and that added a lot to the power of the of the tale. I uh, one of the reasons I did decide to go is that also in the cast, uh, as the ghost of Motka's idol, uh you know, as a, as a much older man and actually as a ghost, uh, is played by Mark Jacoby, who's one of my favorite actors ever. Uh, I, I'm uh, was disappointed in the sense that he's not in it very much at all. Uh, basically, only at the very beginning and the very end. But I think um, having his presence uh, really, really was another tremendous plus for their production and the play. Um, I thought that some of the uh, some of the Nazi people were played a little too cartoonish for me, and I think that I, that actually that. Um, that works against it. Uh, um, The most chilling portrayals of of Nazis that I've seen on screen or on stage were uh, people who were really just very officious and just, you know, practicing evil as if it is just their job rather than um, seeming uh, to revel in evil. And I I thought that that was an issue here with one or two of the people. so that that's an issue that I had I, I do think uh, Peter alluded to this at the start of his review that um, the uh, I, I think one of the most horrifying aspects of the holocaust and God knows there were so many to choose from but is the way that they uh, that they um, used people against their own people they would uh, you know have capos and other uh, you know they would put uh, people, you know, Jews and, and other uh, um, of other prisoners, you know, gay people or political prisoners, and they they would, uh, you know, put them in charge of killing or disposing of bodies of their own people, and and then you have this this horrible, you know, whatever, you know, not exactly Sophie's choice. That's a that's another horror of the Holocaust. But um, these people who do, who were made to do these things in order to survive themselves and and in order to try to come up with justifications, such as Peter mentioned before, that, well, if I do, don't do this, uh, it, it will be even worse because then they'll kill, kill even more people. Uh, that argument is used several times here uh, by several of the Nazis. And it's it's just chilling. So I I do think it's an important story and uh and if you think you can uh you know i, I mean i think it, it it may sound like not a not a, not a way to to sell this but but I think it has to be seen in a way uh even if um it's extremely extremely horrifying to sit through.
2: You know, maybe seriously, uh, it would be a, a good show um, for student matinees. Uh, it, it might work there. What's, yeah. what's also effective—I I forgot to mention this—they um, the Nazis started out simply by getting rid of the infirm people. Yes. The, um, um <clears throat> and um, that's that was a very smart move on their part. Getting the people that a lot of people don't care about that much and uh, really uh, get unnerved by seeing. And it sort of reminded me of um, when um, Trump came down on the transgender people. And I I think it's a similar type thing, figuring, okay, let's get to these people first and then we'll get to the gays. You know, we'll do it little by little. So um, and again, I may be paranoid about that and I may be all wrong. What do I know about what's going on in politics? But it did occur to me. And um, and so that's that's a very effective starter kit for horror to get uh, people that a lot of people don't care about and little by little. And then they came for me.
3: Yeah. Well, that 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 famous, you know, first they came for the the Mm. Political prisoners, and I didn't sure. say anything. You know? uh, but then, also, this uh, on a, on a similar note, this play uh, contains the frog in the in the in the boiling yeah, water. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, as far as the the methodical increase in in the uh, persecution of you know Jews or, or or whoever. I mean, it starts out with like little laws, you know, and then like sort of minor restrictions, and then it just. You know, g- gradually and methodically increases to to mass murder. But the, the you know, as it's said in in this play, uh, if you if you throw a frog in a in a pot of boiling water, it'll jump out. But if you throw a frog in a, a pot of cool water and then gradually Increase the the flame under it. Uh, the frog won't notice what's happening and will eventually die. And that that this is a, a tool of of evil doers. And we we do see it happening now. I think in in, mm-hmm. in 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 our in in the present world. And so that's one more reason why plays and movies like Vilna need to be seen.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, Peter, you jumped in the. Uh the Felicia mobile and headed out to Bristol Riverside theater in Bristol, Pennsylvania to see the sunshine boys. Uh, So tell us about that.
2: Yeah, as I've mentioned before, the Bristol Riverside Theatre is my new favourite theatre uh, in Bristol, Pennsylvania. Um, about an hour from New York, a very pleasant ride, easy to get to, charming little town. And I went to Sunshine Boys for two reasons. First off, this is my favourite Neil Simon play. I know a lot of people go to bat for The Odd Couple and Brighton Beach Memoirs, but uh, this is the one that does it for me, because it's about two odd villains who work together, work Uh, A beloved team by the public, but they uh, didn't get along terribly well. Now, another reason I went, I just mentioned uh, Joe Disher and uh, James Michael Riley. Two of my favorite New Jersey people were in the parts. Uh, So that's Carl Wall now playing Willie and Alan Lewis Rickman. Not Alan Rickman. He's gone. But Alice Lewis Rickman, who thankfully is still with us, playing um al lewis so um they they have worked together before and you can really tell that because they're so good the timing is so fabulous and you know i i do think that the movie of uh The Sunshine Boys fails a little because um, Walter Matthau was just too young for it. And these guys are technically too young for it too, but I think they're more successful in aging than um, Walter Matthau was. Of course, George Burns had the pedigree of being very old in the movie and um, certainly uh, (laughs) was quite fine. So – Uh, As much as you might love the movie and as much as you might hate the TV remake that was done with um, Woody Allen and um, Peter Falk, uh, where uh, the famous vaudeville sketch, which is so wonderful, was changed because the show uh, had had to be updated. It's good that um, director Keith Baker, who is the artistic theater uh, director of the theater, decided that he was going to uh, keep it in the original era so that he could keep that wonderful sketch. And uh, that wonderful sketch is quite wonderful. So. Uh, I do want you to put the Bristol Riverside Theatre Company on your radar. Uh, Again, not so far away, and uh, with productions like this, I have yet to see one that's not good, and this is uh, certainly the best of the ones that I've seen. So only one week to go, and I would encourage you to go.
1: Great. We'll have a link to that in the show notes if you want to check out Bristol Riverside's uh, website and uh, directions and things on how to get there. Uh, Michael, you got to uh, Theatre for a New City where you saw a play called Still at Risk, uh, and uh, let's not give a review of it, but just talk about it a bit.
3: Yeah, this is a play uh, sort of about, I guess you could say, another Holocaust, the, the AIDS tragedy, uh, but not about the um, the actual scourge uh it's about uh, uh the central character is this fellow named Kevin who is uh, to uh, have been a uh major aids activist in the in the at the height of the epidemic uh the action of this play is set uh, actually in the it says a few years after the turn of the 21st century so that's the uh th- there's that much context on it and he uh, uh, I guess you would say that in some ways this Kevin character is, uh, is is somewhat like a Larry Kramer in the sense that he was very, very, very vocal and very aggressive. Uh, a- Act Up, the uh, AIDS activist organization, is mentioned several times, um, and uh, this fellow, it's uh, – it's he's now older, and uh, the question is: How does he? Uh, how how do we honor and respect, uh, or do we honor and respect uh, a person who, uh, who reacted to the scourge in that way? Um, there, you know, have, have always been uh, arguments in both directions, but I think history. Uh, has come down on the side of that, that people like that are absolutely vital. Uh, and if, and if there aren't people like that who really rock the boat and, and really go to the extreme in terms of activism, then, then nothing ever gets done. And who knows if, you know, if maybe, um, well, well, I'm just going to say, if there had been more of those types of people in the early days of, uh, Hitler, um, possibly things would have turned out differently of course it's impossible to say and and that's a very very complicated situation but this is a really excellent play by tim pinkney um and the role of kevin was beautifully played by robert gomez g-o-m-e-s uh uh other actors in this show are jonathan walker ryan spawn amy hone and christopher j Hankey. and uh I'm really glad that I saw this. It's 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 getting a kind of a showcase production at theater for the new city. Where, where I've seen a lot of really worthy plays. That um, actually, this is an example of a play that you know is good enough to have a much. Uh, wider and more established showcase and i and i can't help um kind of comparing it to a, a really unfortunate play by john Guare that uh john Guare that i just saw at the mitzi newhouse up at lincoln center called nantucket sleigh ride and i think that is a play that was produced only because of uh the playwright's reputation and not because of the quality of the piece itself i have um uh, spoken against those kinds of productions in the past. And I, I think they really do a disservice to everyone. So I, um, uh, although I understand that too, and I understand having a relationship with playwrights and blah, 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 blah I think we really, it, it's really important on the part of theater administrators and dramaturgs to, to, um, you know, to, to try to keep an eye out for, uh, Really superior work that's being done on a lower level and uh, and and try to give a showcase to that whenever possible because uh, we need it you know we we really really need good writing uh, as the foundation of everything and this is an example of that, and I'm very glad that I saw it
1: uh, i've been looking at the theater for the new city's website and I noticed uh that. Uh, the producer of this is MBL Productions. Uh, Mary J. Davis, uh, producer, and um, and her name has been popping up on lots of new developments and things like things along those lines. And it's I I don't know this producer, Mary J. Davis. Do you guys know her?
3: Mm-mm. No, no.
1: No. She also uh, produced. <laughs> She also produced, um, I had it just here a second ago, over at 59 East 59, Smart Blonde that Peter just saw. Uh huh. So, and she's also a producer on Natasha Pierre, and she's produced a handful of other things. So, uh, let's keep our eyes open for her.
3: And Still at Risk is only through the 31st. So, if you can uh, get there, it's going to have to be soon.
1: Yeah, we have a link to that in the show notes, and um, you'll see all the different uh, options for you to go see it because it plays a a, a strange uh, schedule. But uh, all tickets are $25, so go check it out if you can. All right, before we move on to uh, trivia, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that way. Each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. Uh, you can listen to us on iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to. Find our podcast, you can listen to Broadway Radio. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me, as well as links to some of these we've talked about today. Uh, we have a lot of videos for Ain't Too Proud uh, on, the si- on, on the in the show notes as well. So check out Ain't Too Proud and uh, all the other videos that we have here. You can be found at com in the show notes. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia?
2: Sure. Uh, Take the first word from a Russian play produced on Broadway in 1922. Then add the first word of the title of a Pulitzer Prize winning musical. Then add the last word of the title of a 2014 musical. Smush them all together and you'll get the name of a musical that ran one night on Broadway. What are the names of the four shows? Well, the show was actually a show called Heathen, which indeed opened on May 21st, 1972 and closed on May 21st, 1972. Heathen. Okay. So the Russian play from 1922 was He Who Gets Slapped. So that's where you get the H-E. The Pulitzer Prize-winning musical, there's only nine of them, so that should have made it easy for people. And the one I'm looking for is A Chorus Line. So we have H-E-A. And then in 2014, we have the musical If Then. So that's H-E-A-T-H-E-N, Heathen. Of course, Tony Janicki was the first to get it. Um, And Dina Stein was the only other one to uh, get it. So that's the story for this week. Now, this week's question A little easier, I think. We'll see. Most shows that close out of town are never heard from again. However, there was one drama that shuddered and resurfaced about a decade later with a different title and became a TV series that ran 13 seasons. What's the name of the original play and what's the name of the series?
1: Okay, if you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. Bye.